Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Peacock, and this is the Liberty Cafe. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for joining us here at Texas Scorecard, who sponsors our podcast and has done and is doing great work in the fight for liberty in Texans today. So please be sure and go to their website, texasscorecard.com, and find out what's going on in the battle for liberty today in Texas. All right, so we're coming up on the end of a three-part series on corruption and government. So this is episode 58. And what we're doing, what we've been doing is kind of looking at where corruption comes from and how it gets played out in Texas government in particular. We went all the way back to Augustine and and looked at Augustine and how he told us about this concept, or he explained to us this concept, which is a very biblical concept about original sin, how we're all born into sin, and that brings us into corruption. And the only way out of that corruption is through Jesus Christ. So there are people who don't know Jesus Christ, and they are in their corruption 100% of the time. Those who have been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ at least have the ability to step out of their corruption at times, but they struggle with that. And so whether you find believers or unbelievers in government, the temptation is to is to corruption, and that's what we're going to see in government, where you have this power, the power of taxation, the power of regulation, and the power of the sword to enforce all that, you're going to have this problem with corruption. That's why our founders set up the system of checks and balances, a system of federalism, both of which have kind of collapsing over time, and that's why you've had over you know, the past years new ways people have thought of to, to check the corruption and power. Term limits we talked about on the last episode is one of those in particular that people looked at. So, so what I've been doing is, is taking this concept of corruption in government and then looking at that through the lens of the Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, Fiscal Responsibility Index. Don't try and say that at home. That's a mouthful, but I think I got it out okay. So TFR has put together this Fiscal Responsibility Index and graded members going all the way back to 2007. So last week, we looked at some of the individuals who have announced they're leaving the legislature and, and how their scores had degraded over time from when they got here until when they left. And almost to a man or a woman, that was the case. Right? We, we had some who came in were never proponents of liberty, were never proponents of freedom or free markets, and they stayed that way. Um, but we had some who came in very strong and left pretty weak. Uh, we, now, we did have the one member who came in not so good, uh, Brian Hughes, 
who's back in 2005 on a scorecard I put together, scored a 40% on it. But by um, the grade he got this year on the TFR index was 92. So Brian Hughes was rightly understood to be a great champion of liberty. But for the most part, it works the other way around. So today we're, we're going to take a more collective view of things and take a look at, at just some of the cumulative scores on the on the Texas the TFR scorecard and see what that looks like and what we can attribute to that. So I want to first take a look at the overall score. This is the, the the average score of the Texas Senate and the Texas House together on the TFR fiscal responsibility index. So again, they started this back in 2007. And if you go back to that time, the total entire legislature had an average score of 52. Now, that's kind of a sad thing. I mean, we understand that there's a bunch of Democrats thrown into the mix. And depending on when you count, there's somewhere between uh, generally um, what is, we got up to like 66% at some point in time. So between a third to almost a half uh, Democrats during that time. But you would hope you'd have enough Republicans in there to pull up the grade. And in fact, we did have enough Republicans to pull up the grade, but they just didn't vote as they should have as proponents of liberty. So we start off at a 52, and basically it stays that way, 54, then 55, and then 2013 it dips to 49. And then we, we take a step up in, in, 59, in 2015, it, we get to 59, and then we drop down to 51, but recently, last two sessions, it's dropping off the table. Historic lows for the legislature, 46 and 40. Now, what's changed during that time? Well, of course, in 2007 through 2013, that was Rick Perry. He was the governor of Texas. And, of course, you can't hold the governor entirely responsible for what goes on in the Texas legislature. But it is a Republican governor, and it is a Republican legislature, and you would hope that leadership out of the governor's office would help us move in the right direction. Perry's – the score of the legislature under Perry averaged at 52.5. Under Abbott, that's dropped down three points to 49 percent. But what's really interesting is what happened those last two sessions under Abbott, gone to 46 and to 40. The Texas legislature, and I would say because of that, Texas government is at an all-time low, well, all-time going back to 2007, when it comes to a focus on liberty and freedom and free markets. And I, I don't know where else you can point. I mean, there's a lot of places you can't point, actually, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. But I think you have to start by pointing at the top and you look at the governor's office. Uh, it's just a 40 this session in the midst of all the things we've had to deal with. You would think, you would hope that the public's reaction to all the, the COVID tyranny and the, the, the things related to that and what's going on in Washington, D.C., you would hope that the Texas legislature under leadership from the governor would stand tall for freedom and liberty and people, but that hasn't been the case at all. It's at a historic low, and 
who knows where we're going from here. But, but I think those numbers speak pretty clearly as the, as the leadership coming out of the governor's office. Now let's go to the Senate. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, of course, since 2007, we've had two lieutenant governors, uh, David Dewhurst and Dan Patrick. So again, we go back to 2007. The, legis- the Senate was pretty low, a 39. Then it gets to 47, 47, 2015, 13, there's a little uh, jump to 58. And then we get a jump in, in 15 to 68, then 71. Things are looking good. But then all of a sudden, the last two sessions, just like the overall legislature, we see a drop off, 59 and 50. Well, let's look at the averages for a second. Under Dewhurst, the Texas Senate score on the TFR index was 47, 47 and a three quarters. Under Patrick, it's been 62. The average has been 62 under his four sessions. So that that's good, except, again, for the drop-off. When, when Patrick first came in, there was this jump, 68. The next session, 71. But then a significant drop to 59 and a drop down to 50. So essentially, where the Texas Senate is today, it's about where it was under David Dewhurst. And you know, David Dewhurst is a good person, but he's not what you'd call a conservative. Dan Patrick, on the other hand, has advertised himself as a, as a populist, at least, but a conservative as well. Yet the score of the Texas Senate is right in the same neighborhood as it was for most of the time under David Dewhurst. So, so what happened? Why did it drop off? What happened between 2017 and 2019? Well, there was an election the midterm elections in 2018. And as you recall, that was not a good time for Republicans because that was the the midterm election after Trump got elected in 2016, and Democrats came out of the woodwork to vote. Now, maybe they came out of not just the woodwork, but out of the computer and out of the ballot boxes and all these kind of things. And uh, maybe there was a little more corruption to the 2018 election than we knew about at the time, given what's happened since then. But nonetheless, there was this massive turnout of Democrats, and particularly in, in suburban areas and those kind of things. And it showed. You know, we, we lost some good members of the Texas Senate, some of the best ones, Don Hoffines and, and uh, Connie Burton in particular, lost another really good one, Van Taylor, who went up to Congress. So probably, you know, except for John Hall, so three of the, Bob Hall, excuse me, three of the top four conservative members of the Texas Senate dropped out at that point in time. So you you can't blame it all on Dan Patrick because he had less conservative members to deal with. But the other thing that happened was, is that on a dime, Dan Patrick just turned away from a lot of the conservative things that he had been focused on. Uh, one just brief example on that was was school choice. Uh, prior to that, everything had been about school choice. There was going to be school choice back in 2017. Patrick had run on it and he had promoted it. He'd had a big meeting with the lieutenant governor from Nevada who had just pushed that and brought it, and he brought the ideas over to Texas, and that was going to be the big thing. Well, as soon as the 2018 election happened, and Republicans started losing, and and Patrick only won by six points instead of 
however many points he won before, all those things went out the window. And the big initiative out of Dan Patrick and the legislature was a $5 billion pay raise for teachers. And somehow that thinking, apparently, that paying off teachers' unions and putting more money into public education was going to keep Democrats from taking over Texas. Well, I mean, who knows? In 2020, the Democrats didn't take over Texas, but I'd suggest that paying off school unions is not the reason that that happened. So anyway, there's this great big turnaround. And and so it's going to be interesting to see where the Texas Senate goes into the next legislative session. And then we get to the Texas House. Uh, A really interesting thing here is that for most of the history of the Texas legislature that I've been associated with, starting back in 89, the Texas House was always the more conservative body, right? The, the, whether it was under Bill Hobby or Bob Bullock or uh, even Rick Perry uh, to some extent, the, uh, the Senate was always the more liberal body of the two and then David Dewhurst. And the House was the most conservative and that shows up. And you go back to 2007 for the House scorecard score, it was 55% versus the Senate's 39%. Then you had 56 and 57. By 2013, it dropped off to 49, but uh, to 47. But then it went back up to historic numbers in 2015 to 58%. But then, since then, it has dropped significantly. 47. 44, and now 38 in the most recent session. So as I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, I think, the Texas House of Representatives scorecard on for fiscal responsibility is at a historic low for the Texas House, 38% versus 44%, then 47%. The, the lowest before that had been you know, at the beginning was this was 55%. So it's just dropped off the table. That's even lower than the Texas Senate's 39% back in 2007. So there has been no more liberal legislative body in Texas since the scorecard began than the Texas House in 2021. Why is that the case? Well, you know, you might look at who the speaker is, right? Dade Phelan. And that's how we started off this series, looking at uh, corruption in government from Augustine to Dade Phelan. Well, here we are now at Dade Phelan, the most liberal, socialistic legislative body in, in the, the history of the Texas scorecard or, or the, the Economic Freedom Index. And why is that? It's, it's again, it, as I pointed out, it's not because Dade Phelan is doing something illegal. It's because he has been here and is being corrupted by this system. And the system is taking us down into this pit. And the question about is, is how is Texas going to get out of this? Because it doesn't seem that we have the leadership in Texas today to make this happen. It doesn't seem like we have the members in the Texas legislature to make this happen. One more point in all this 
is I'd like to just look at the Freedom Caucus for a minute. This Freedom Caucus is made up of a lot of really good folks who have fought the good fight for freedom for a long time. But even if you look at that organization, it's only been around for three sessions, but it, it has struggled as well. So you go back to 2017 when it first started, the average score, I mean, get this, this is the average score on the TFR index was 98.4, 98.4. I mean, practically perfect. Well, today that has dropped down to 84%. So basically the champions for freedom in the Texas legislature are a B minus, right? Or I guess maybe a B we could give it. Now there's still some good members in there uh, who are doing well, you know, in the, in the 90s, uh, Steve Toth, Cody Vossett is new to the group. Uh, Briscoe Kane, Mays Middleton, Matt Schaefer, they're all up in the 90s where you, you, you would expect champions to be. But some of these people have been there for a while, and some of the other folks have just dropped off. Matt Krause, 75. Matt Sheehan, 80. Valerie Swanson, 79. James White, way down at 62. So even our conservative free market, freedom-focused leadership is having a hard time. So where do we go with this as Texans? Well, I think the first thing we do is we go, it's okay to look at these folks and criticize what they're doing if the criticism is worthy. But the first thing we really ought to do is look at ourselves because we're the folks who keep sending people up here, electing them to office, sending them to Austin to do the same thing over and over again, which is raise our property taxes or allow our property taxes to continue to go up and not do anything about property tax relief. You know, they just passed this mini little thing about property tax relief during the uh, one of the special sessions. And it's not – our property tax bills are not going to go down. They're just not going to go up quite as fast as they were. They did the same thing back in 2019. They did it back in 2006. They did it back in – 1997, they keep saying they're going to address property taxes. They never do. They keep spending more and more of our money. They keep regulating more and more of our lives. Yet we keep sending the same group of people up here. And sometimes the names change, but we keep sending folks up here who aren't focused on liberty. So that's the first thing we need to do is that. And then once we come to a realization that, that maybe we're the problem, is we need to go to Jesus Christ and ask him for wisdom about how to apply the whole counsel of his word, not just the gospel, but the whole counsel of his word to government, and that he would bring that to pass so that civil government today would look much more like his government. You know, Jesus Christ is up on the right hand of God sitting, and what's he doing? What's he sitting in? A throne. And what's he doing from that throne? He's ruling. He has a government that incorporates righteousness and liberty and justice. And we should hope that our governors down here would do the same thing as well. But we generally get what we deserve. Well, except through Jesus Christ, we get salvation, which we don't deserve that at all. But typically the things that come our way in lives are come at us because we keep sending people like these folks up here who, who just keep taking away our liberty. So we need to ask God to work in us and to work in the hearts of the men and women in the Texas legislature and Texas government to, to bring liberty to 
the United States of America and to Texas. Well, thank you once again for being with us on the Liberty Cafe. It's always a blessing to have you here, and we look forward to having you back again along with our sponsor, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe by Texas Scorecard. You can find more shows and great content at texasscorecard.com. Please consider leaving a review or rating the show on whatever podcasting platform you listen on.